we're starting an 11-week sermon series, one I've never done before, on the Ten Commandments. And as someone graciously pointed out in Bible study on Tuesday, aren't there Ten Commandments? Why is it 11 weeks? I am not that bad at math. Our last week we'll talk about Jesus summing up the commandments. So it's on purpose that it's 11 and not 10 weeks. But it should be fascinating to kind of do a deep dive on the Ten Commandments. We hear about them often. You know, we probably know several of them. But it'll be interesting to look at them more deeply. So for this week, in our second reading, I'm going to provide a little bit of background in the preceding verses of our first commandment. Exodus 19, verses 16 through 25 On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to the Lord to look. Otherwise, many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people are not permitted to come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and keep it holy. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let either of the priests nor the people break through to come up to the Lord. Otherwise, he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then our sermon text, Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The word of God for the people of God. So let's do a quick recap of what brought us to this point in the Bible. Adam and Eve are created. Sin comes into the world. They're kicked out of the garden. They have to go wander and make a home for themselves here. They grow in numbers. God calls Abraham out of Ur and forms a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will be the father of a great nation with people more numerous than the stars in the sky. The people grow and expand in numbers. There's a flood because they take a turn for the worse. And all but Noah's family are, spared, are, are taken in the flood. They expand in numbers again. 
There's a boy, the youngest of 12 brothers, Joseph, who's thrown into a well by his brothers, sold off into slavery, ends up in Egypt, climbs the ranks, and when a famine hits, his father and family come to Egypt to seek refuge, not knowing he's there. He welcomes them back. He forgives them. The Israelites end up in Egypt and are numerous and prosperous in Egypt until the Pharaoh forgets why they were there and what they did. They're enslaved by the new Pharaoh until God finally raises up Moses to lead them out of their slavery. There's plagues, and finally Pharaoh lets them go, then changes his mind, sends chariots after them. The Red Sea parts, the people walk through, the chariots are washed away. And the people come up to this mountain, Mount Sinai. That's a very short version of how we got here. They're at the mountain. God has promised Moses that God will show up in very real form. And that's exactly what happens. Our first reading, or the second reading, is the third day of preparation for God's arrival. And then God comes with fire, with smoke, with thunder, and with loud horns blaring. This isn't something you could mistake for anything else. It's not like you could go, boy, it's stormy out today. The thunder is going, and there's some lightning, and it's raining pretty hard and windy. This could only be explained by God descending on the mountain. When I read this story, Moses was very reluctant about following God and roped his brother into it because he wasn't good at speaking, he told God. So Aaron was part of this. But after seeing this take place, Moses then has to go up the mountain into the smoke. I can't imagine you, you have a great feeling approaching everything that's going on here. God then gives ten commandments to the people to follow and to obey. Commandments that help govern a just community. That's what these commandments do. They provide framework and boundaries for how are we supposed to exist with one another as humans? How can we make it work? God gives these commandments. But the first, the most important, is a reminder, much more than a commandment. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. One of the challenges of understanding the Ten Commandments is we are thousands and thousands and thousands of years removed from them and how they were given and how the people lived when they were given. The people who were hearing these eventually from Moses did not argue that there, the fact that there were other gods. Other gods existed everywhere they turned. Everywhere they went, there were gods of Egypt that they were coming out of, a pantheon of gods. We can see images of their statues going to museums. 
The land that they were promised was full of gods, local gods that people worshipped. So for these people hearing these words, it wasn't a question of are there other gods? They would have accepted that. The question was, who was supreme among them? Who was the highest god? Who was the god over all gods? And God says, I am the Lord your God. I am Lord over all, over all gods. I am the one that brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery, implying that God is God over the Egyptian gods, because they couldn't stop God from bringing the people out. And if they were going to have a life together, a community that was just and righteous and flourished, that community had to exist under the knowledge that God is their God. The Lord is their God. And they can only have one. They cannot put any other gods before the Lord. Now, why was this needed for the people? Why did they have to start here? Because they didn't have a great track record with not putting other gods ahead of God. And in fact, while Moses is up on the mountain in the midst of this smoke and fire and lightning and thunder that's shaking things violently and the horn blasts, what do the people do? They get impatient and they tell Aaron, look, Moses isn't coming back down. He's gone. He's gone forever. He's not coming back. He's left us. We're in the middle of nowhere. He led us here through the wilderness. We need something to worship. We got to have something. Back in Egypt, we had things to worship. We need something. And Aaron caved and formed a golden calf for them to worship. So even while Moses is up on the mountain, conversing with God directly in all of God's glory surrounding it, the people turned to another God. That would kind of happen over and over and over again throughout the history of Israel in the Old Testament. This reminder that God is our God and that there can be no other gods wasn't just for them, though. It's a reminder for us all. You see, far too often, in the busyness of life, as we move through and fill our time, we lose sight of God being there. We lose sight of God being there before everything else. We lose sight of what God did for us or has done for us or the ways God has shown up in our lives in the past. We need to be reminded we need to think about the times we experienced God in our lives. Where we were, what we were doing, who we were with. And we need to continually remind ourselves that God is our God and we can have no other gods before him.
The Ten Commandments can seem a combination of relevant and irrelevant for our modern times. They're lovely, they make great bumper stickers, they're short and to the point, but there's layer upon layer beneath them. And Jesus goes into that in his ministry when talking about different commandments. But as we begin this journey going through all of them, let us heed the first for ourselves. The reminder that God alone is our God. God alone has set us apart, has blessed us, has consecrated us, has made us holy, has made us righteous, has forgiven us, has poured out grace and mercy and love upon us, brings us out of what binds us, out of places that oppress us, And God is our God, through and in all things. Through trying times, through suffering, God is still our God, is still with us. The people were quick to forget, but they didn't benefit from something that we benefit greatly from the presence of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit writing the law on our hearts. So much more than an external thing that we stare at, two tablets with engravings on them, these commandments and all that God commands of us is within us. The Spirit holds it there reminds us and empowers us to follow them, to live them out in ways that people before us couldn't. It's the Spirit that reminds us of our relationship with God, of just how special we are. Not us as individuals, not us as this community of CPC, not us even as the church, but that God calls all people. God created all people in God's image, a reflection of who God is, and that all people are called to experience God. However you need it this week, Take this reminder with you. Know it. If you haven't experienced it before, experience it for the first time. Embody it. Hold it within your heart. God is your God. You are God's alone. Amen.